0: Good morning, dear listeners. Coming up in a moment, Wild Oak Living, we're gonna talk about wildfire safety, so please stay with us, don't go away. We're gonna we've got important and Good information to share with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. You are listening to um, Wild Oak Living. This program comes to you every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. It's all about living sustainably in Mendocino County and beyond. And one of the things that has one of the things about living sustainably, of course, is to deal with the various uh seasonal challenges that we face here in. Mendocino County, and uh, one of those is wildfires. Regular listeners uh, who've been listening to this program, which I've been doing for more than twenty years now, I'm amazed to recognize, is um, is wildfire and how to be safe during wildfires. We've had our share of wildfires here in the county, and um, we we have learned a lot. You know, since some of the big wildfires, the Valley Fire, I think was one of the initial really big fires here in the area. Um, and, um, and and part of that learning process has, be, has been um, both to learn how what we as people who are living here can do, especially people who have uh, um, homes and lands um, that are in the wildfire zones, which is basically all of us, even those of us living in the city. And also organizations have sprung up that uh- <laughs> help us deal with that situation of being in a wildfire zone uh, with risks being increased by climate, by the climate crisis. And, uh, and one of those is the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. You might remember if you've been listening for years that um, I used to have Colin Wilson uh, on at least once every year to talk about wildfire safety. And he related the story of how he went down to Southern California and was in one of the big wildfire. And that's what prompted him to start with many, uh, with several other people, the Mendocino FireSafe Council. And today we're going to have, we're going to uh, combine both of these sort of tracks uh, in our show here. My guests, um, I am honored to recognize um, is, um, just a minute, I got a couple more buttons to push here. Okay. Jana Volokovic. I'm I'm sure I'm Jana I'm mispronouncing your name. Can can you tell us uh, how to correctly pronounce your name?
1: Well, good morning, everyone in Radioland. My name is Jana Valakovic.
0: Ah, Balakovic. Okay, great. Thank you for letting me know. I should have asked you, but with this, uh, with this excitement at the beginning of the program, I neglected to ask you. And my other guest is Scott Craddy. He is the executive director of the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. And so today we're going to talk about the science of wildfires and wildfire safety, simple things that we can do to protect our homes. Um, and also, and then on a broader scale, we will talk with Scott Craddy about the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. And they have many programs and resources um, and information that help us uh, become more prepared for wildfires um, and also that help people who might not necessarily be able to do them themselves all the work. So, um, let's start with you, Jana. I was inspired to invite you by, uh, reading about the presentation that you gave in Ukiah last week, um, at the, at the Civic Center. And so for those of us who w- weren't able to be there, I'd like to share at least some of your information with a wider audience. I know that, um, we can't show some of the amazing videos that I understand you showed there. Um, but, um, let's at least, um, try to focus in on some of the information that you shared there but before we get in there in into the information uh in depth share with us what inspired you to work in the field of wildfire science and to tell a little bit about the work that you do
1: well that's a great question and it's uh, takes some reflection you know i think the evolution of one's career has many twists and turns uh, so i am fortunate to work with the university of california in partnership with Humboldt and Del Norte counties, similar to positions that are in Mendocino uh, as well. Um, it's called the program's called Cooperative Extension. And I've been there for uh, quite a long time, but my interest in fire probably really started when my dad accidentally started a wildfire when I was about eight or nine years old, uh, weed whacking with uh, a metal blade in the middle of a hot summer. And- uh-huh. Uh, I was the only one home. Um, he was trapped inside a fence, the wind was blowing it through the fence and uh, we went and um, had quite a calamity. So my history with fire you know, is early on. I was also uh, someone who lived in Oakland during the Oakland Hills fire in 1991. Um, and my career, Uh, you know, took me more into the natural resources and into forest management and to forest ecology, but always had a a strong interest in wood products and design and um, one of the great things about being an extension agent, that's what my, my job is really with the university, is that I get to pick up new skills along the way. It's all part about being a lifelong learner and um, some years ago, um, maybe 20 years ago, we started bringing workshops to communities to talk about wildfire preparation and what we people could do to kind of fireproof their homes. And, you know, can I be frank, almost nobody showed up uh, and it, we were in that space of kind of the cognitive dissonance that, you know, this is not going to happen here. It's not an issue for us. Um, and I, you know, had the privilege to be mentored and trained by one of the national experts, uh, Dr. Steve Quarles, and we just hit it off really well. And so I've, you know, learned um, from him, self-taught, and uh, then have taken a number of um, chances to do post wildfire assessments and really look at the pattern and process of home loss um, using my, you know, my scientific framework for that, and. Um, so now, you know, I think we all have a very different opinion about the vulnerability we possess and the idea that you know, there really is no landscape in California that is immune to wildfire. And in fact, our ecosystems are highly dependent upon the periodic um, exposure to wildfire. It does many, many beneficial uh, elements and especially the use of prescribed fire under uh, very precise conditions. So how is it that we move to this place of adaptation? You know, what is it really going to take uh, for us to reframe how we think about um, livability, functionality, and um, this place that we also cherish and call home? I guess just, you know, a little last piece of that is I was born and raised in southern Humboldt County, very close to the Mendocino border uh, in kind of a back to the land movement. And so, you know, rural skills are something that I own and um so you thread that all together and you know you have a tapestry of of science and passion and a desire to really make the world a better place and help our communities adapt and thrive. So um That has propelled me into many places, both in policy and management and um, really the science behind wildfire exposure and and what buildings can do um, in terms of how we uh, retrofit them or design them so that they really are hardened on the outside and and much more resilient to future wildfire exposure should that happen.
0: Well, that takes us, I think, right into the heart of the matter. you already indicated that you know initially when you, um, I'm trying to figure out why the zoom picture keeps going away. I'm sorry. Um, you already told us you know initially people didn't show up when you talked about wildfire safety, but I do think that the topic is has much more attention now. And and what do you think we we have learned um, to do di- that we need to do differently since since these this sort of this juxtaposition of or living in a wildfire zone in the first place and, you know, burning, like you said, being actually necessary for the ecosystem and the climate crisis exacerbating some of the risks?
1: Oh, we learned so many things. Um <laughs> The list is long. I think, you know, just to distill it down to the fundamentals, I think one of the key pieces that I have is that um, the, 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 the process of burning a building down uh, from exposure from a a wildfire coming towards a structure is much more predictable. Um, But I think few of us have a chance to ever watch that process and understand kind of the stepwise progression that happens. Once you understand what that Potential set of exposures are. Then we can make much more informed uh, decisions around what actions we take to to harden that structure. So most of us think um, that there's going to be you know a wall of flame that's going to engulf our house and and the building's going to spontaneously combust in the first thirty seconds of exposure. But in reality, what tends to happen is that you get the long distance transport of. Burning pieces of vegetation or parts of other buildings that get moved in the air column. Uh, these are the kinds of fires where we lose lots of homes. Uh, and, and those, you know, create spot fires out in front of the flaming front. So um, maybe up to a mile or more. And you get uh, those pieces of, you know, fire brands, it's the technical term, but like little pieces of charcoal in essence that land in our gutter that go through our vents or land adjacent to our house. And we suddenly have a spot fire adjacent to our building, Uh, but the fire front is, you know, a long way away. And so, you know, then you get smoldering and then you get combustion and, and that was probably a, a much more man, you know, an event that we could manage if we knew how to remove the combustibility adjacent to our structures or the permeability of our structures. So that's, I think the key piece, the other component is that all the buildings on the property matter. And if you get ignition in a building that maybe you care less about, like your woodshed, even though it'd be nice to make sure you keep, you know, your wood going into the winter season, um, the if that woodshed is close to your structure, the ignition of that woodshed could have enough heat transfer through the air that it will break a window in your main structure. So maybe you only put $300 into the woodshed, but the loss of that uh, low value building could take down your primary building. So thinking about it as a, kind of an ecosystem of structures and how they interrelate to each other um, is another kind of key piece in this so that you you want to think about the proximity and distance between buildings. And if you lose one, uh, that it can have a domino effect on the surrounding buildings. So. Again, two pieces, you know, yes, we think about defensible space around managing the pathway of fire coming towards the structure, but we also have to think about this long distance transport of uh, pieces of, you know, burning debris, and then if you get ignition in one of those adjacent buildings, that can cause an additional um challenge for your primary structure. So it's all in kind of framing it in those those three types of exposures and trying to you know break the pathways, break the chains and connections. Um, because really here's how I think about it. I mean, we have a tremendous volunteer fire department in the North coast and they've, they have saved our butts so many times. But what happens is when the coast is under the potential for, you know, is it is in a red flag warning day or is in the potential for ignition, so is the rest of the state. And, you know, we know from especially our lightning events uh, or our high wind events that it really depends on the sequence of of ignitions that happen across California. So if we're in condition to burn, so is the rest of the state. And so if we're last in line, it's hardest to get resources to us. I mean, you can think about the 2008 uh, lightning series, for example. Um, you know, we had to wait in Mendocino County until we could pull the National Guard in to really have a sizable force to be able to manage the issues. So um, I am, you know, reframed my thinking around the idea that what can I do in the event that I'm not home and there isn't someone who's going to be physically capable of sur- of, of deploying to try and support my structure? Um, that's not because I you know, feel like they're inadequate. It's just that there's you can't predict what the future will bring. And I think we should be preparing for the event that our structures need to survive on their own.
0: I think you just brought up an important subject um the fact that the structure needs to survive be able to survive on on its own because you know it um for two reasons this is an interesting question because you know, one, you know, you might think like in my case, you know, I've I've got lots and lots and lots of things in place that would enable me to protect my structure and the area around it. You know, water, gravity fed, two inch lines, you know, connections for the fire department, fire hydrants, all that stuff. Um, But that requires that somebody is actually there using all that stuff to, you know. To put it into action to protect my home, and that may not be the case. I may not be home, or if I am home, I may decide, you know, I'm going to follow the evacuation orders rather than to try and stand and fight.
1: Well, I mean, completely. I mean, we want we want you know, we want the system to work, and you know, I think one of the things that I've really learned is when you talk to our you know tremendous Cal Fire staff or our volunteer fire department folks, they often can get deployed to another event. And then the then the ignition happens back home and then they have this incredible guilt and and wish that they could be there because they know exactly what to do and how you know what to be you know what the potential behavior is in that but they're off you know because in the sequence somewhere else so you know you hope that that's not the case and you know we have we're well trained and we've got a you know a great um collection of of state and local resources that are here to really try and put us in the best position but what can we do to help them so that they can put their priority on evacuation of life uh, and safety protection and, um, you know, put their resources where they're most needed in the most critical times so that we know that we, when we leave, you know, the structure and the condition of the house and you know, where our animals are, are in the best possible position. And um, it,
0: it- you know i've i've done and i will do again shows on that that focus on the whole process of you know survivability evacuation animals all of those things and we probably don't have time to go into all of that but i would like to have you talk about um What are some of the key, knowing that there's, we live in a world of limited resources and limited time and, you know, nobody, few people have the money, the resources and the time to make all the changes to do everything perfectly. But um, let's, let's talk about some of the high priority things that people should think about in terms of their homes and in terms of the landscapes around it.
1: Yeah. Well, the number one priority is to make sure the roof is in good shape. And for those of you that maybe are in need of uh, a repair to the roof, you know, I feel for you, it took me many years to, to re- raise enough money to replace my old redwood shingle roof. Uh, and, and probably some of you have had some uh, wind damage or um, some other damage associated with this year's set of uh, storms and wind that we had. Um, so, thinking about the roof from a fire performance perspective is, is, a, is a critical piece after you set that aside uh, the number two one and two priorities are really thinking about the the first set of uh, feet away from the house working from the house outward and the combustibles that are near to the house uh, so those can be in stored wood it can be in firewood it can be in woody vegetation uh, combustible mulch like um, doug fir mulch for example really really a beautiful product but um, the adjacency to the structure, it creates a lot of vulnerability. So looking at those first five feet around the building. Um, so that's mostly a lot of sweat labor and, and relocation of items. Um, and then the, the, the equal and parallel element is looking at the the ventilation system for the structure. Um, the vents are really important because you need to let hot air out and you need to create circulation in the building, um, but they also are porous and they can let things like embers in. So um, it's possible to upgrade vents without a lot of money, a staple gun and some one-eighth uh, metal mesh screen can be applied to the exterior or interior of the existing vents. Um, And for those that have a little more resources, they can also upgrade to the new flame and ember resistant vents. So there's been some um, innovation in the space of how our vent systems can work. So it's possible to also upgrade them to even a higher standard. But we're in essence trying to keep the airflow going, but reduce the size of material that can enter within them. So that can be done, as I said, from the inside or the outside. So you can go to the hardware store, get some one-eighth metal mesh screen, pull out your staple gun and do a lot of good work.
0: And what about uh, immediately adjacent to the, to the house? Like what, what zones are we talking about that and, and what kind of things should we be doing?
1: Right. So in California, there is a new defensible space zone that is in the works. It's called Zone Zero. So it's the first five feet around the structure and any attached stairs, uh, decks, uh, items that are attached to the building. So we want to create an area where there isn't material that is likely to ignite upon wildfire exposure, whether that be embers or direct direct uh, flames coming at the building. So we're... Highly recommending that people um, move in front of this and um, embrace it. I know. I know it means some aesthetic changes and um, living in a different way for some of us. We like to often anchor our buildings with uh, plants, just to kind of not see our foundation um, and that's it's just really time to move on um, and accept that this is one of the most vulnerable locations on on our buildings so um embracing that is is key and if i'm to give you a mar- market signal if you have not heard uh the uh the insurance company state farm has just made a major announcement in california and that announcement is that they will retain existing homeowners policies but they are going to cease uh issuing any new uh fire insurance policies for homeowners in california they're the largest insurer in California, and they can no longer afford uh, to bear the costs and fill in uh, when we need to use our fire insurance. That is a I, huge I will- market signal in terms of the understanding that vulnerability in our structures um, is going to in- affect the insurability of our structures. And it's our largest asset, right? And if we cannot sell our largest asset or monetize our largest asset, it's it's hugely troubling. Um, so here we are in a space where we're going to have to go through a period of very rapid transition both to retain the insurability of our structures as well as to increase the survivability of our structures uh, for future wildfire exposure
0: um this this may sound a, a a bit radical but um i would beg uh i my my my, my thinking is that uh, insurance companies appear to be in the investment business rather than in the insurance business and uh, i you know i I, th- I think this is yeah maybe maybe they're looking at this and they're trying to cover themselves for uh, against future risk but i don't know this is,
1: <laughs> this, yeah, is I don't, this i don't is represent the insurance, insurance industry in any way just to say that right. there are yeah. is- incredible destability in in the insurance industry in California and and we are stronger as homeowners when there is great diversity within the insurance pool and so the more insurers we have in California, the more the load is shared and the risk is shared and as consumers we're better off. Um, so the you know the loss of one of the largest insurers in California, um, at least towards future policies is highly significant. Um, I don't. I haven't heard any rumor of anyone else attempting to to make such a radical decision. But um, you know, we all feel it. I know we could talk for you know days about what experiences everyone has gone through and and whether they're only limited to the fair plan option now and and and, and such. But my point is that uh, we're in a period of transition, and as much as we might want to say it's not going to happen to me and it's not important um i'm just here to really say i think we have to be more open to the possibility of wildfire exposure and to the and to the vulnerability we face when it comes to our largest asset
2: just to jump in for a sec before we get too far off you know talking about transitioning so that zone zero is a super part of the transition is a super important part of it is getting ready for that and so that's the first five feet around your structure and attachments that you want to have clear of anything flammable and the first six inches up from the base of the structure, which is where those firebrands will pool from whichever direction the wind is coming. And just a quick observation on that is that people talk about that usually in the context of vegetation. Um, but when we go out and do home assessments, what we see a lot is that a lot of people have heard the kind of the um, defensible space message in the past, and they've done a lot of clearing around their property. But they miss a lot of the most important things because it's not just the vegetation, it's the where you store your recycled cardboard um, and you know where you uh, where you've raked things to. And if you have an open carport, uh, you know what flammable things you have sitting in there and it's the mats and the furniture and the things you have you know for your comfort that are right around your home that are also super flammable. Um, so you need to take all those into the into context and thinking when you're thinking about creating a, a barrier around your home where there aren't things that are going to catch those embers and, and start your, your structure on fire.
1: Yeah, And just to maybe go off on that a little bit, like how many people tuck things underneath their deck because it's, you know, it's less visible, maybe it has a little less exposure to the elements and it's kind of tucked away. Well, you know, if you get ignition in that, you're going to ignite the deck and then the deck will ignite the house. So, you know, resist the temptation to have the extra bit of stored lumber that you put underneath the deck or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I know it looks neater when it's tucked away, but we've either got to move on with it or find a safer storage container that's farther away from the building.
0: Does that mean that we should all transition to concrete decks and metal deck furniture?
1: Not necessarily, um, I mean, I don't want to sit entirely on metal deck furniture. Um, but you know there it, it depends on the type of exposure you might have. If your deck is overhanging a steep slope and that's where the best view is, uh, the potential to preheat the underside of the deck if you get ignition downhill and you know, a wildfire racing up the hill towards your deck, um, there's a lot more vulnerability that comes to the underside of the deck. What I will say is that um, there are a lot of people that are working in the research space around decks, and there's actually some new um, design recommendations that can make uh, future deck installation with wood um, much more robust, and they're not expensive. So things like when the deck joists, when you start to frame out the new deck, uh, frame it with wood so that it's structurally stronger and you can go 24 inch on center. So there's more spacing underneath, there's less infrastructure underneath the deck. Uh, and then take those floor joists and cap them in metal tape. Um, and that way, if you get uh, ignition at the area in between the deck boards, it won't wick the fire down the individual deck boards themselves. A little hard to retrofit that because, you know, you, you typically screw a deck in now, and then those screw heads, um, when you try and pull them out, often pop and break. Uh, so much easier to do at the installation side. Um, The other element that is recommended is replace the last two deck boards as it attaches to the structure with a a non-combustible section there. Um, You can think about the grates like the metal steps, the grates that you find in a snow country where you're knocking the snow off, but it falls through. So you can create a a way to create a little more separation between the building and the deck um, should you get ignition in in that area um so new innovations new new design ideas um scott you probably have links to some of those on your fire safe council uh website those are from the national fire protection association there's some one page fact sheets there's one on decks and how to how to install a deck if if it's time to upgrade or or you're you're adding a new deck yeah sorry just
2: uh, I just
0: Scott. I just want to take a minute because we're at the half hour mark to let people know that you are listening to Wild Oak Living here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting KZyx and Z. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and this program comes to you every other Thursday from nine to ten a.m. Today we are talking about wildfire safety and about the Mendocino Fire Safe Council, which we'll get into in a moment. Um, my guests today are Jana Valakovic, and she is uh, with the University of California. Wildfire. she's a wildfire and home hardening expert. She is a forest scientist, registered professional forester, and a leader in developing and delivering local and state strategies to improve wildfire resilience. And my guest is also Scott Craddy. He is the executive director of the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. And we're here today to talk about the science of wildfires as it threatens homes and how simple strategies, we can make simple strategies um, and, and s- simple changes, uh, to our homes and to the area around our homes to protect our homes in the event of a wildfire and especially in the event of a wildfire coming through when we're not home. And, um, and now we would like, I'd like to, um, Transition um, for a, a bit to uh, Scott Crady to talk about the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. Yana, you just mentioned that there, you know, there are reso- many, many resources on your website for the Fire Safe Council, and there's many activities that you do um, to help people protect themselves. And so, Scott, I just would like to invite you a bit to talk a bit about the Mendocino Fire Safe Council and the work that you do and the resources that people can find on your website, for example.
2: Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Mendocino County Fire Safe Council, um, you know, we are a countywide organization. So to start with that, we're not affiliated with the county. We are an independent nonprofit uh, that have been around for, we we, at least we say, a small but mighty uh, nonprofit. Um, uh, we have a lot of programs. And I guess the first thing I would mention, if people haven't, is that they should definitely spend some time on our website, which is firesafemendocino.org. Um, a couple of things I'll point out there just to provide an overview of what we do. Uh, one, there's there's a ton of information. So the first pop down on the, the menu is safeguarding your home. And the first thing you'll see under there is preparing for wildfire and uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll give a summary of that if we have time towards the end, but that's got your sort of six steps for getting ready. Uh, starting with making sure that you are signed up for all of the alerts that are available in your area because you uh, can't take the best actions if you don't know what's going on. So having good information is is the place to start. Um, and moving on from there to preparing a plan, etc. So there's you know, we have six basic steps that we break it down to that you can step through uh, to get as ready as you can. Um, the thing Just below that, um, which is a collaboration that we did with Yana maybe a year and a half or two years back at this point is the home hardening video series. And that um, is a super resource for people. Um, It um, takes the home hardening process and it breaks it down into pieces from the most important piece. So as Yana started with the roof, the roof is our first section under that, Uh, moving down through all the other components of the home. Um, and it gives you two different ways to approach it. For for each section of the house, we have a short video. So if you are pressed for time and you just want to do something to improve your home safety, you start with the most important thing, the roof, and you watch the five-minute version that tells you what to go do this weekend uh, while you've got a couple minutes to do something. Um, And if you're a person who likes to know more about why you're doing something, then there's a longer version that you can watch uh, to get some more of the the whys behind uh, the actions you should be taking. Um, the, I'm gonna skip over a section, probably the next most important section for people is the community programs piece. And there is a lot under that. Um, I'm gonna give a quick overview of kind of our major programs. Uh, the first is a defensible space assistance for its defensible space assistance that's intended for people who just can't do the work themselves. So uh, if you are a senior or you're a person with a handicap uh, and you can't afford to hire somebody else, we have a program where a crew can come out and help you with your defensible space for free. Um, so you can you know call us to sign up if you don't have the internet 707-462-3662. Four six two three six six two. you can email us at admin at firesafendecino.org, or you can apply off the website. Um, secondly, for people who can do the work themselves, we have a community chipper program. Um, and that's a program where if you've done your defensible space work yourself, we can potentially come and take away the residual piles and get them chipped. Uh, for you. Um, and I'm going to mention here this is a general principle that's going to apply to just about everything that comes after this. The more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Um, so, in our community chipper program, there's one of two ways you can do that. We have an automated sign up, uh, and you can just go in and type your address and see if there happens to be a chipper day uh, in your area coming up. And if not, you can put in a request to be informed when there is one. That depends on a lot of luck um, because we're looking at the whole county. Uh, We have a limited number of chipper days. So you know we look periodically, we look in there and see if there's a cluster of people who want service in the same area. And if we see that, then we'll organize a day around it. Uh, That may or may not happen depending on how many of your neighbors participate. So the way to get a chipper day to happen quickly and efficiently is to step up and put more into it and organize it with your neighbors, Uh, to organize it, to call us up and say I've got 10 people in this area that are going to do defensible space work and we'd like you to come provide a chipper day Uh, and that's a much quicker way to get it done. That prioritizes it right to the top of the list. Um, The same thing with home assessments. Um, Home assessments are a process where we come out and um, walk with you around your home. We talk through the vulnerabilities and the science issues that that Jana started talking about at the beginning of this. Uh, We point out what we think are the most practical things you can do and the highest priorities. Uh, They can often be surprising for people, so it's worth doing, and it's a similar process. You can either request it on your own, and when we find a cluster, we'll do it, or you can organize Three or four other neighbors that all want to get assessments in the same area at the same day, and ideally open that up to other people in the neighborhood so it can become a community learning experience. And if you do that, that gets prioritized right to the top of the list, um, and we're more likely to be able to get out and do that for you quickly. a other relatively more minor program is a reflective sign program. We make reflective address signs that you can order from our website. If you don't have one, you should get one for a multitude of reasons, uh, not only for fire, but for every kind of emergency service, uh, but particularly with fire, because when there's a fires don't tend to happen at convenient times. They tend to happen, uh, you know, at night. Uh, there's that they happen when it, it is smoky it is hard to see and as yana pointed out we don't know who's going to be there to respond often the local people who know the area are somewhere else uh, given that chain of events that's kind of unpredictable so it could be somebody from central california that's coming into your neighborhood and trying to find uh your property and without good signage it will take them a lot longer which really increases your risk um And then the final thing I'll mention, just in our, this is the big broad overview of our projects that I'm giving you, um, is that we support at this point more than 16 neighborhood fire safe councils throughout the county. Um, And we've got a map on the website under the prepare your neighborhood menu that shows you where they all are. And uh, so you can join one if there's one in your area. And as importantly, it provides you a guideline to how to start one if there's not one in your area. Um, and that is super important for a couple of reasons. One, you know, because there will never be enough resources to do all the vegetation management work that needs to happen and all the prep work. We, it's not, grants are not gonna get us there. Uh, grants will sometimes come in and clear out a chunk of the work, but even if that happens, if your neighborhood is lucky enough to land the million dollar grant that comes in and does a lot of vegetation work for you, going to have to maintain that for it to be a value over the years. So the bar can get lowered for you, but you're going to have to be engaged if you want your community to be safe. Um, And secondly, because with wildfire, we are very much all in this together. Um, And um, hopefully, Biana will get to talk a little bit about like the findings in her in the study she helped author on the Paradise Fire. But, you know, wildfire Tends to move through pretty quickly, uh, and if your home is well hardened, it will. There's a decent chance it will survive. Um, once as the fire passes, what puts it in danger going forward is that any houses or structures that catch fire in the area, and they will sit there and burn for hours, and they will continue to cast those embers, and they will put every other structure around them in greater jeopardy. So, there's a very real sense in which we're all in this together and our least, our most vulnerable structures put all the structures around them in greater jeopardy. Um, so, you know, it's in our advantage to work to this um, as a community and just I'll get this back to Jana in a sec, but the, you know, one of, one of the, among the powerful slides Um, that was in the presentation that she showed in Ukiah last week that we will hopefully have on our website in another few weeks um, so that other people can see it are, um, you know, pictures from Aries fires that show um, just incredible patterns of, you know, blocks of the same buildings that all burned down where right near them, there are other whole blocks of buildings uh, that were in the same place that all didn't burn down together. Um, So, you know, which group do you want to be in? Um, That that depends on, again, you know, how much you put into it.
0: And, Riana, before you pick up from there, I just want to mention one more reason for neighborhood fire safe councils, and that is the fact that no matter how much work you do on your own land and on your own driveway and around your own house, If the road that you share that leads to you and your neighbors houses, you know, has has fir trees overhanging the road and has not enough clearance high up for a fire truck to get through or is too narrow and doesn't have any turnouts that are required by CAL FIRE. That fire engine may not come in to help you if you need it because they can't or because they won't because they have other priorities and safer access routes uh, in other areas. So that is another really, really important reason to get together with your neighbors and look at your access roads and make sure that that shared infrastructure is 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 good and is clear. Okay, Yana, I'll toss it back to you to pick up from where Scott handed it off.
1: Well, I just want to say I'm really impressed with all the resources and and talent that the Mendocino Fire Safe Council brings our communities, and they're really doing a stellar job. And I'm fortunate to get to travel across California and see other organizations, and they're in the top list of uh, amazing community caring and effective organizations. So, just want to offer that uh, perspective. Um, I
0: second that. Yep.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's always I mean, we're we're on community radio right now, so let's talk about community. You know, yeah, <laughs> the good stuff. And I think the community piece is a is a really good pivot to, um, you know, we've got we're in, we've got shared issues, uh, and and we've got you know, I think a a real challenge. I mean, when you look at where we live, you know, who's who's able bodied. Uh, My mom's 80 and, you know, it's not doing so good. And, you know, who's looking out for her? Um, So who in your neighborhood maybe needs a little bit of extra attention and and just either doesn't have the resources, doesn't have the the sweat equity capacity or just really doesn't have the know-how? So what I'm trying to ask people to do is, you know, inspire a community, lead by example. Um, Show that it's possible, and you know, and in and be open to embracing doing something a little bit differently than than we've done in the past. So, what Scott uh, hinted at, um, some research we did in uh, Paradise uh, that was after the campfire, and it sounds a little crazy, but it was an amazing experiment from a scientific perspective because the town burned down in 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 one day, and resources were. Um, you know, focus on getting people out of harm's way and less on property protection. So In terms of like seeing an experiment and see how, you know, what might happen, uh, Paradise gave us as scientists a whole lot of um, opportunity to look at how buildings survived and what were some of the the community effects that we might see. And and there's just a very strong signal that the condition of a neighboring structure really has a very strong impact on the survivability of your structure. So, in our statistical analysis, the strongest predictor of loss was the distance to the nearest lost building. So that radiant heat piece that I was talking about earlier, uh, where you get ignition in one building, it may not actually uh, touch the flames, may not touch your structure, but the radiant heat that comes off of uh, a well cured building, you know, I've lived in a 1955 Redwood house for a couple decades. and so let's talk about how dry that building is. Um, the amount of heat that comes off of that is, is really substantial. So um, this idea that we're in it together, that the condition of the neighbor's building may have impact or effect on your structure um, is, is something to consider. And it doesn't mean that if the neighbor is not capable or interested that you shouldn't do something. But maybe you can help inspire them to be um, in the same program that, that you're on and in the same same uh, mental space that you're on. So um, that we're kind of all in this together and we need to help each other out, lift each other out, lift each other up in this moment. And uh, I, I just you know, believe we can do this now that we understand, you know, a more clear understanding of where and how fire exposes our buildings. What can we do as individuals to, to make a difference?
0: I also understand that there's some new rules and regs coming down from the state that are supposed to address this situation. Is there some?
1: The the only thing that's really new that's coming is is this uh, third defensible space zone we've been calling Zone Zero. Um, That is passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, but it's still in the uh, development of the regulatory component that comes through the California Board of Forestry and Fire Protection we anticipate that should be finished by the end of the year, and it will take effect um, slowly over time. So, for new construction, it will, will go into effect first, and then there'll be a, a heavy educational phase um, before it's um, we see com- mandatory compliance and uh, existing structures. There's a you know a lot of conversation and policy direction around. Um, fire safe regulations which deal with ingress and egress and road widths and bridge weights and water and all of that stuff and um, not a huge amount of change in that space but just that uh, you know when we propose new subdivisions within our communities that they do need to have a better design so you've got two ways in uh, and out or uh, one way in one way out you know options there and better better signage better better focus on water and and those elements
0: Uh, Scott, we we have about um, nine minutes or eight minutes left in the program. Uh, if you think that's enough time to go through those six steps that you mentioned earlier, at least in a in a brief way, uh, you know might, that might be give some concrete uh, and a concrete action plan to people uh, as to what to focus on uh, in the next few weeks.
2: Sure. Um- quick quick pivot before i do that just um, you know this is back to the website um, so firesafemendocino.org um the section i failed to cover when i when i talked before is our community fire resources section uh, which has also a lot that i just wanted people to be aware of uh, including you know quick tips uh, if you're if you're a radio junkie and you want to hear all the radio shows we've done in the past, they're all on there, including a lot of important topics like Johanna mentioned earlier, animals, a super important topic, all on them all on their own. If you've got animals, you need a whole plan for them uh, as well, and you may need to practice with them for evacuation, etc. So there's a, a lot there, um, and there is also our new project tracker, which is a map that shows you every project we are aware of in Mendocino County that's going on to reduce wildfire risk uh, from every agency. Um, So if you wanna see what's going on in your area, you can spend some time with that. And one other quick thing I'll mention there um, down in the publications, also a lot of good info, the Mendocino Fire Safe Council, County Fire Safe Council, we really focus on road access and working from the home out. So we're close to the home resources. There are other agencies for larger property owners that um, can do more to help with larger tracts of land. Um, So we've got a neat resource on there. That's a chart that shows all of the agencies that are working in the the wildfire prep area in Mendocino County and what they offer and how they fit together. Uh, So if our programs aren't for you in your particular situation, you may find the ones that are. Um, and, you know, pivoting back to your question, uh, the very first thing under safeguarding your home is preparing for a wildfire. And it's got the basic six step guide. Uh, there's a little pop down menu for each of these. The first is to sign up for alerts, as I mentioned, um, and it will lead you through. There's different layers of different layers you can dive into that. Uh, you know, there's the, the Mendocino County officially recommended alerts, which you should absolutely be on. Uh, and there are different ways you can get them. And you should also make sure you periodically go in and update your information. If it changes, uh, you can sign up for alerts. Oh, Yana, did you?
1: Well, I've got a question. I, um, I know Humboldt system better than I know um, Mendocino system. Can you sign up for multiple properties? And like in my case, I mentioned my, my elderly mother. So could you sign up for another family member um, just to be a part of their emergency um, system?
2: Yep, you absolutely can. And that's actually in the the very first bullet on there as you register your home address. And then if you wish to receive notices about emergencies in other areas, you can add addresses for work, family members, children's schools, uh, et cetera, to focus in on where you you care about. So there's a couple of different layers of notification. And then there are um, external systems that we reference in there as well, where you can get alerts from, um, from other agencies that are watching out. Uh, Scott,
0: I just want to take a moment here and and tell everyone, share with everyone that the app, the what I the notification system I have found the most useful and the most timely, and the one that always gets the alerts to me fir- first is an app that you can put on your phone or on your computer called Watch Duty. Two words, watch duty. Um, you can put in the counties that you want to get alerts for. Um, they are uh, supported by donations. They're all an all volunteer organization. So when you download the app, um, watch duty, uh, look for in the menu for the a way to support them and to give them a donation. And while we are talking about support and donations, I also want to mention uh, Scott, in case uh, you don't get to mention it. Is that the Mendocino Fire Safe Council, my understanding is you are also a membership-supported organization, right? And that people can support your work by becoming a member. Is that still the case?
2: You can become a member. Um, it's not really the memberships that support us, but it's a great connectivity, and we are adding more and more benefits for our members. Uh, if you look under Safeguard Your Home, you will see a resources for people who are getting work done, and we have a growing number of contractors in the area that offer discounts to our membership for our membership so it's a nominal membership and if you get 10% off one tree job where a thousand dollar tree is coming down it will pay for itself multiple times Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway back to a quick variation hopefully we'll fit this all in another super important watch duty is on our on our website list as well on that page Um, having a neighborhood alert system is something else we help with and can be equally important as all those others, a way to get out and to make sure that you've connected with all those vulnerable people in your own neighborhood. uh, So you're not leaving anybody behind and you have a way to spread local information. We also help with those networks is another part of what we do. Uh, Moving through the list, the next step is to have emergency plans for everyone in your family, including your animals. And there's a lot of pieces to that from having go bags, and knowing what you know, what you should have ready to having a place you've designated to meet up. Uh, so there's a, a whole sort of set of things to do uh, to make sure you've got plans and you know how to connect in an emergency. Uh, the next step is making your home as easily easy to defend as possible. Uh, that's making it sort of safe for firefighters in case you do them. you know if you can get a response to your home. That's the best possible thing that can happen. So you wanna make sure you've taken what steps you can to make sure that your home is defendable if there are people in the area to defend it. Um, You next wanna continually improve your home hardening and home hardening is uh, what we sort of started talking about. It's that process of making sure you've done everything you can to make sure that your home can stand on its own if you're not there, that it's impervious to embers and radiant heat Uh, and direct flame as possible. And you can do a tremendous amount in that area to improve the odds of your home surviving. Um, Part and parcel with that is your defensible space. The next step, the vegetation immediately around your home. Um, So we have a section dealing with how to continuously improve your defensible space. And then the final step, which is also one that we've talked about before, is once you've done that, once you've taken care of your immediate surroundings and your family, is helping prepare your community, plan and prepare for your neighborhood. Uh, So joining a neighborhood fire safe council uh, and or connecting with your neighbors in other ways. And so that one page on our website has top outs for each of those. And you can step through them as you have time uh, to get yourself as prepared as you possibly can. There's a lot of resources packed in there.
0: And again, that's the website of the Mendocino Fire Safe Council that Scott Crady, the executive director of the Mendocino Fire Safe Council, is just sharing with us. And that website again, Scott, is? It
2: is firesafemendocino.org.
0: Thank you so much. Um, Yana, we have maybe a minute or so for you to make any closing remarks. I meant to give you more time, but as always, there's so much more to talk about than there's time to do it. Well,
1: I'll just say, you know, as we, come out of this rough winter season it's a great time to be thinking about how do we prepare for summer and uh, it's great to see the sunshine again and i just want to encourage you all to have these important conversations with your family and think about what you can do to really make a difference in your survivability and in your structured survivability and um, happy to be a resource to your communities and you know my hats off to casey uh, YX, you all do a fabulous job of keeping your community informed and alert and aware of what's going on. So it's a it's a real pleasure to be with you, Johanna and Scott. And thanks for the the morning conversation.
0: Thank you so much, Jana Velikovic. She is a uh, um, University of California wildfire and home hardening expert and Scott Craddy, the executive director of the Mendocino Fire Safe Council. And uh, Jana, thanks for putting in the plug for KZYX. If you didn't donate or haven't participated in the pledge drive, you can still go to KZYX.org and make your donation to support this radio station. Thank you for listening, everyone. To this important program you can find it on your favorite podcasts as um, station in a day or two we'll be posting it up there or you can go to jukebox.kzux.org and listen to it or share it with your friends and neighbors